welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today's guest on the Keon Yoga podcast is Magnus Fried. Magnus grew up in a remote area of southern Sweden. Discovering meditation in his teenage years when his parents, having sponsored a Tibetan refugee, finally, after completing his university education, came to meet his adoptive Swedish family. Magnus, as a restless teenager, was amazed by his contact with the Tibetan culture, steeped as it is in Tibetan Buddhism. He was immediately captivated and made his way through academic studies in Indology, specialising in Tibetan language and culture. He's a long-term meditation practitioner and has really been put meditation to the test to cope with difficult life challenges around the health of his daughter, born with spinal issues. Magnus is one of the founders of the Mindfulness app and the app has been widely popular and translated into 13 languages. He's also the author of two books. His latest book just released, The Art of Stillness in a Noisy World. A fantastic and characteristically down-to-earth and compassionate companion to the incorporation of meditation and its aims of peace into our everyday life. He regularly teaches mindfulness, meditation, as well as Ashtanga Yoga in Stockholm, Sweden. So welcome, Magnus, to the Keen on Yoga podcast. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for having me here. Lovely to have you. Um, So, interestingly today, you're fundamentally a meditation teacher. Mm. Um. How did you get? Can you just tell us a little bit of your background of how you got into meditation? Um, that'll be that'll be wonderful to start with. Yeah. Yes, it, it goes a long way back actually in my life because I was only uh, I'm grown up in uh, the south of Sweden, mm. and ever ever since my first memories, uh, my mother co- coincidentally she became a sponsor uh, for a, she supported a Tibetan child, a Tibetan boy. Okay. Uh, who, who was in an exile village in the northern India, in Uttar Pradesh, up in Missouri. Yeah. Um, it's a bit south south from Dharamsala. Um, and um, she was very engaged in her um, sponsorship. Uh, she had no further interest in Buddhism or meditation <laughs> or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. But coincidentally, she read about the... Uh, the problems in Tibet. You all know that the Chinese have been occupying Tibet mm. for since 1950 and 1959. The Dalai Lama uh, left Tibet and with a huge amount of, of Tibetan people. In India, they were very hostile and they um, welcomed the Tibetan people and also Nepal did the same thing. And uh, Dalai Lama could set up his exile uh, government in Dharamsala. Mm-hmm. And and uh, during that time, Karma, who is the name of my sponsor brother, his family came to India. Uh, so so my first memories was like that uh, you have a you have a remote god brother, right, <laughs> yeah. sponsor brother. Yeah. His name is Karma, and is a bit older than you. Uh, and uh, we we will help him until he can manage on his own, until he left the school and maybe he wants to study in university. And if he wants that, we will support that as well. So I mean, I, I wasn't. Uh, I, I, we became pen pals and we were writing letters. Uh-huh. I was from I was six seven years old or something like that. Uh-huh. And we sent draw drawings and uh, he, he sent me. Uh, uh, pictures from from mm. his school and, uh, and things like that, and I liked it. Not much more than that at that point. And then I remember I had a, a few uh, strange memories, but I the, the greedy part of me remember that we had this, you know, Tintin comics uh, uh, laying on a drawer at my home, and they were they they were supposed to be sent for to Karma. 
these Tintin comics. And I was so, I tried to, to convince my father that this is not a good idea. It's better that I keep, I keep them for myself. <laughs> so, but uh, of course, that was the best thing we could do. And then uh, uh, we became quite close friends over mail. And then when I was uh, 60, 17 years old, my mother and father invited Karma to, to our home. And at that time, he left university uh, and he was very good in English and uh, they wanted to, to, to meet him in personal. Mm -hmm. And it was quite complicated at that time to, to, to invite him to, to Europe. But after a lot of uh, paper administrations, uh, he finally arrived. And, and I think that was a very interesting time for me to meet Karma. Because I was a very, um, how, how shall I put it, a very restless uh, teenager, like many are. Mm, but uh, yeah. at that, that time, I didn't know that I also had uh, a slight, uh, I know as an adult, I know that I had a diagnosis, uh, ADHD. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. And that was very obvious at that time. But I, I wasn't so, it didn't came out so extrovert for me. Like I was extremely restless, extremely mm. had a lot of anxiety, mm. stress inside. Mm. I, I never felt, I never truly felt the feeling of being grounded, mm. actually. Mm. Mm. And I, of course, I tried uh, alcohol and all things that you try mm. during these these uh, years, but uh, I've never got very interested. It's, it's just uh, how to say it's just uh, uh, maximize that feeling, so it right. was in the yeah. wrong direction. Yeah, right. But um, and I also read about some uh, philosophy and Christianity, of course. Um, but uh, I, I didn't have any faith in a, in a monotheistic God, so it wasn't for me. Uh, and uh, when karma came to my family, it was like um, uh, all of a sudden I had a very knowledgeable um, Buddhist in my home that I could discuss all these questions with. Right, so he uh, he was he was grown up a Buddhist. He was taught in in monasteries up up there near Dharamsala. He's not taught in monastery, but I mean, is for all people who know something about Tibetan culture knows that it's so mixed up with religion. Right. So I mean, Dalai Lama has been the head of uh, the Tibetan mm. political life and religious life for so many years, for hundreds of years. Now the situation changed, but at that time he truly was. Uh, so Karma brought a lot of books with Dalai Lama, and we had so many interesting talks about logical in religion and not logical things in religion. Where is the um, how to say the 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 line in between psychology mm -hmm. and religion right. and, mm -hmm. and back and forth? And I got very attracted to Buddhism, and I got very interested in Tibetan culture. And I got very interested in their destiny um, that they had been through, and they still are, which is uh, awful. That, uh, that so so few things change actually. Mm. Uh, so when he he went back home to India again to continue his life, um, at that time I think he was doing his military training up in Kashmir or something like that. And uh, we, we took a decision that the uh, next step was for me to visit him in India. And he wanted to show me uh, his, his world. Okay. Because yeah. also this, this was way, uh, this was actually 1987 or six or seven. So it was way before internet. So it was still quite a distance between the, the two countries. Right. Okay. I mean, I hadn't realized that you were, how old are you? I didn't realize you were that 50. Old. I'm oh, 50. Wow. Okay, <laughs> pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a long time. It must, be the, it must be the meditation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Amrita Soma. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, so, so I was left there with a, with a, with a massive interest of, of Buddhist and Tibetan culture. Uh, and uh, I was left with my restlessness and with my anxiety and stress. 
So I slowly start to dive into that meditation context myself. And I remember very clearly that I found some meditation instructions in a book written by Dalai Lama himself. And uh, again, it wasn't very accessible. I, I remember I went to, uh, I'm born, I'm raised in a very small city in the southern Sweden. So I went to the local library and I think there were four or five books about Buddhism. It was very, how to say, mystical. It was about right. mm. people who came into the close Tibet and they seen things that were very special and uh, right. people mm -hmm. that can hold the yeah. breath for yeah. a very long time and they can meditate out in the snow and stuff yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting, by the way. That's called the Tumo technique yes. and meditate out in the snow. And that's, that's what Wim Hof is actually doing now. Yeah. So it comes from the Tibet. But I tried, and, and the, the extraordinary, extraordinary thing that happened was that for the first time in my life, when I started to do the simple shamatha, what they call in Tibet, shine practice, calm abiding meditation, I felt, I felt strong confidence of uh, calmness and uh, security and faith. And I felt that, uh, as they describe in meditation, that there is a gap in between stimuli and response, that became very clear for me from the first uh, meditation sessions. I felt that I am here and uh, anxiety and restlessness is also here and I can engage in it and I can take it as truth. Uh, I can make assumptions out of that contact, but I can also just say, hello, restlessness, hello, anxiety. I don't want to deal with you. You can be here in the same room as me, um, but but I accept that. It's a part of me, but it's not the whole can part just, of me. Yeah, can you just um, explain the uh, the Shine Shamata um, meditation technique? Because I think often people are, are kind of at a loss when they approach meditation. They kind of want to do it, but there's, looking out there myself, uh, you know, for uh, for teachers of this, you know, you don't find many people kind of teaching techniques apart from just simply sitting and watching is there anything more to this i mean i we know that tibetan buddhism is very complicated in its meditation techniques mm. um but the shine shamata one how 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 i mean that's obviously an entry gateway for a you know meditation technique how would you uh how would you describe that so you know I think that's um, that's very well explained it's an entry it's a it's a first step and it's, it's uh, very much what you call, today you call it the secular tradition, you call it mindfulness. Right. You, 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 you have a mind uh, that you may, you may be thinking you, that you control your own mind, that you can restrain it from being here and there and everywhere. Uh, but actually, it's more like a, a monkey, monkey mind, or what mm. you call, in some text I also read that they, talk about uh, an elephant that is, that is on uh, alcohol or anything like that. It's yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Milarepa, the Tibetan yogi, he, he says it's like a wild horse and you have to start understand how to ride this horse before you can go further. So that's very much what it's all about. I think it's uh, the, the, the image with a, with a, with a lake or, or, or the ocean surface is quite good actually, before you can see what's beneath the surface. It can't be totally still, but at least you have to understand that you don't have to go with all the waves all the time, that you can stay still. So this is shamatha meditation. And in Shina meditation, I use two words now, and maybe we should explain that. Shamatha mm -hmm. is a Sanskrit word. Shine is the Tibetan uh, term for, for this meditation. Yeah. Shi, it means uh, peace. And in name uh, means like it abide or stay in something to stay in okay. peace. Mm -hmm. It simply mm -hmm. as that. Uh, and they used to say that there are um, a couple of different techniques for this. Of course, the most obvious technique that we all tried is to stay in our object, to follow our breath from the very start, not only for one time, but for a long time. And that's a learning process. Maybe you know, for a beginner, uh, you can stay just for a couple of seconds and then you will uh, drawn away to distraction. Another way of doing it is to have uh, inner um, 
in to visualize uh, visualization do a visualization to visualize an object mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can also do uh, like a uh, image of a buddha you can also use an outer object an external object to have a statue or something that you that you watch right mm-hmm. and you can also use the technique of uh, recitate mantra of different kinds so that's that's mainly the first part to tame the mind Mm-hmm. And you're a meditation teacher, yes. so how do you instruct that first of all? Is that the first thing you instruct? The first meditation you instruct? Well, it, it is, but I also learned that uh, I experienced that I have to, 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 how to say, take some, the path isn't that straight. Okay, right. Yeah, because yeah, many yeah. people, the first obstacle uh, is, of course, to find a good posture. Uh, oh. You and me, we are both uh, practitioners of yoga, so for us it's not a problem to sit on the floor with cross legs, but but this is a big obstacle for, for uh, most people. So you have to work around that, and find right. different ways. How can we modify? How can we deal with this can we find some easy yoga postures or ex- uh, breathing exercises that can make it easier for you or maybe you have to use some support for some people it's better to sit up on a chair a regular chair i don't remember what the tibetans say about the um, the posture i mean what are sitting on the floor and in lotus what do they have any particular feelings about that i mean nowadays you see a lot of people meditating on chairs um what do you, what do you have you had any opinions about that no hard opinions. I, I asked many meditation teachers when I wrote my first book. I asked uh, a couple of uh, uh, very experienced meditation teachers, and I think uh, the most of them are very calm with this issue. They say, "Keep the spine straight and keep your hands, your palms down on your thighs. Right. That will be that will be fine. And just find a good posture. It's a mind training." So if you get stuck up with this, that I'm, I can really do this better than you because I can do a full lotus, or it, it will just makes it the ego more, more obstacles and problems with the ego. So I think it's for me, it's very obvious when I'm, I'm doing workshops in meditation that you have to work around it. It's not possible. I mean, in in a regular meditation class that I have, maybe. Two out of ten can sit on the floor really? in a, in a, in a cross leg. Uh, the most people they need something under the buttocks, mm, right? At least mm. something. Then most of the people can sit mm-hmm. on the floor, but they need something under, right? So so that's yeah. that's obvious. Yeah. And, and some people have to straight out one leg because they have knee problems, and right? Yeah. Stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can meditate on 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 uh, some kind of pain later on, but but for a beginner, <laughs> I think it's uh, it will be horrible. <laughs> Yeah. I think enthusiasm is is the best fuel. That's the best thing you can ever have in the beginning of a, of your meditation journey. Otherwise, yeah. you won't. You won't. Well, any journey, really. I mean, you know, you've got to you've got to want to do it to some degrees, right? Like if it's just yes. if it's just torture, then you know why why would you bother? And then the mind, you know, also if it's torture, then you know your mind closes down. You have to just kind of how you know be involved or want to be involved in the experience, right? And so exactly. having got them having got them into the you know into the room and, and fairly comfortable and, and then I'm just kind of trying to kind of flesh out an experience of how a meditation class would go, you know, with you or, or maybe with others. Um, you know, what what's what's the next step? Mm, well, after you found the, the, the posture. Mm. Um I, I used to I used to do it like uh, um, three steps. Um, my what I'm first, I'm very clear what I'm aiming for. I want them to, I want them to, to, to gain regular practice, because just as yoga or Ashtanga yoga, I mean that's a that, that's a great thing about Ashtanga yoga that you keep on coming back all the time. Some days you are good, sometimes you're bad, sometimes you're just neutral. And after a couple of weeks, you don't even remember if you were good or bad or whatever you were. You just go with this flow of regularity. That's where the magic happens. So what I'm aiming for is to to give them this tool 
in in midst of their life so they can have a regular meditation practice and i used to 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 um, split it up to three different things first the pre-meditation you can't just jump into meditation from from a stressful uh, life situation maybe you come from your work or you have a kids at home disturbing you or something like that you you have to you need to let let's say let's say like this uh, your session is 15 minutes the first 2 3 minutes is just about arriving and centering maybe you can do a few yoga postures if you have some problems with your back mm-hmm. some twists mm-hmm. you can you can do nineful breathing there are, there are some famous techniques breathing techniques in the, right. in, the mm-hmm. in the tibetan buddhism uh, and you can uh, you can just be in stillness and let that restlessness come down settled get settled uh, and the first thing is maybe that you don't even think that you should be calm you should be kind instead think of self compassion and kindness and kindness is yeah. actually i was going to suggest that just it's not easy to kind of you know once one sits down and and finds one isn't calm after the first three minutes, then there's te- this tendency to well, think, well, okay, well, uh, you know, this isn't working, <laughs> right? And I'll get so it's a, you know, fantastic well, and nice, a nice way to put. First it. of all, for, yeah. first of all, that's a big misunderstanding. Uh, every every okay. every everybody coming to meditation, they they want something maybe, right? But but after some time, it's accepting what's there. Okay that you have to change that mindset uh-huh. because because if they come to at least my classes and say i i want to be calm i want to be happy i say well yes that might be an effect of this of course but but there will be other things as well you have to accept that first so just sit down that's why i, I write so so much about stillness in my book i i use that word being still with whatever whatever is there that's for me that's very self-compassionate and uh, there is a lot of acceptance to to keep that space to facilitate that space in yourself first to see what's there how how can you else work with uh, negative imprints the negative patterns if you don't even uh, want to be aware to see them that's the first step so that's what i call the pre-meditation just to be with what is okay then you mm-hmm. then you come to the to the the, the formal meditation uh, so the, uh, hopefully that's the biggest piece of the piece of these three steps mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then you have a very clear technique okay uh, and and as i told you you can the teacher will give you Follow your breathing for 25, five, one breath, or uh, you use a mantra, or you visualize something, or you're just being guided by the teacher. And you stay in a meditation. And also there is something to say there. For a beginner, to just say that, keep on holding, keep on holding to your meditation object, because you will fail all the time. So I used to say instead of your first step is to be aware of when you become distracted and take the mind home again to the meditation object. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that distance is the first your first task because you will only stay here for a few seconds but you can be aware be aware where are you going when you don't want to be still when you don't want to be in the here and now, where are you going all the time? You can notice that, and then you can say to yourself, now I'm not doing my task. So with a gentle gesture, yeah, come back yeah. home again. So it's a, a Kamala Sheila, an old Indian philosopher, he uses a very nice metaphor. He, he says it's like binding a, a soft thread, very, very thin and soft thread that you're holding but you never get too tight because it will break. So you just hold it very nice and gently. But every time you get distracted, you can just take it again and come back to the 
to the object. And my, it strikes me when you first of all you're you're kind of settling into it and you're you know you're trying to come into a space of acceptance and you know and you know an awareness. I mean, it is a simplistic question and, and perhaps is too obvious, but what is the benefit of being aware of these things rather than not being aware? Well, on this on this path, we are we are we want to we want to understand the anatomy of the mind, who we truly are. I mean, this is a setup of both yoga and and the yoga tradition, yoga philosophy, and Buddhist traditions to understand the true nature of mind. And if we if we just connect to 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 uh, uh, things through assumptions. We we can't see that we can't learn that. So we have to break through that as a first step, because otherwise, uh, I mean, it, it won't give you a clear. It won't give you wisdom and clarity. It will will just give you an assumption of who you think you are and who does think you are. And, and so on and it, this is uh, this is something different but to get to get closer to that inner nature that inner stillness that inner silence uh, you have to start with to, to, to accept what is there at the moment to see that clearly so that's why why the first step is very good for everyone I mean you and me we have different uh, mind stuff in ourselves and we can't uh, I mean, we have we have to see that I can't see your stuff and you can't see my stuff, but uh, I have to start with that. I have to start with that. I have to settle with that. I have to become mature in that, and don't try to be anything else. That's that was my next question. So you know, I know I'm approaching this on a basic level, but you know, when we were entering into meditation, we are trying to come from the start, um, and yeah. uh, and then so and so you get that right, you get that acceptance right, and you can see more clearly maybe the back of your head before, and now it's more visceral, more obvious, and and we're kind of accepted now that that's a good thing and not a bad thing to try and push that away, right? Because <laughs> that is generally the <laughs> the kind of uh, attitude that we have, <laughs> and and and, mm-hmm. and what do you do with it? Okay, it's there. You know, now it's there, fully present, mm-hmm. and all this stuff you didn't want to see before. What do you do with it now? When you see it there, yeah, uh, you learn. Uh, I think you, you think you learn the first thing, a uh, very important thing. And I, again, I see myself as that teenager. It was that I, I got the experience uh, of impermanence. And impermanence is most of the time we see impermanence as uh, something negative. Uh, in, in, in worst scenario, we see that we are going to die. Of course, it's a uh, worst expression of impermanence for for a secular mm. person. But uh, we also don't want to lose things we have in terms of material things, and we don't want to lose friends and uh, other things, and we don't want to lose things that is ours mm. but in but in terms of impermanence as something positive what i could feel was that all those things that i thought was me i thought i am the restless stressed minus and i probably i will be like this Right. I mean, I mean, I was a teenager. I mm. had that introspe- introspection. Mm. So, so, but I could experience. No, those things are impermanent, totally impermanent. So they will come, and they will take form, and they can be very powerful. But if you don't interfere, if you don't uh, interfere, is it the right word? Yeah, that's yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, they will be just like any mind stuff. They will lose the power and they will disappear. They might come back in a new form, but in between that, there is something constant, something that is still in, in the depth of you. Right. And that's what the Tibetan, they call it Rigpa. 
I think, mm. an inner wisdom. The Buddhist, uh, they call, it's called the Buddha nature, they call it. And in yoga tradition, they have uh, many di different words for it. But there is something there. And when you connect with that, it's just amazing. <laughs> I think it's, mm. it's like uh, things like that totally distracted you for decades. In that state, it feels totally feasible to deal with that. It strikes me I, it, when you mentioned. I answer your question. That <laughs> <laughs> was beautiful. I mean, and I was just kind of thinking in the, in the current times, obviously, people are dealing with a lot of impermanence and anxiety, as you mentioned, you know. I mean, mm. and, and uh, what, what can you suggest in terms of meditation technique or how, how would. How how are you using that training now? To um, there's a lot of anxiety with people, right? I mean, is there anything people can do yes. on a daily, on a pragmatic level? I mean, I don't think it's it's easy to recommend the view that everything is impermanent. Um, that that you know, <laughs> on an immediate level, that seems sounds to have kind of maybe increase anxiety. <laughs> Just mm. coming straight with that, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> everything's impermanent anyway. <laughs> Well, well, yes, yes, and no. I would say, right. but okay. I also also would say that uh, since impermanence is so crucial in these teachings, mindfulness also comes into a new light. That's why here and now is so important. That's why Buddha was so interested about this nowness, because everything is impermanent. But if you embrace that, if you embrace that totally, you know this vidya avidya. You you take things um, um, that that uh, is uh, impermanent for static. So you think whenever you feel happiness, you, you want this to to remain forever. So all things that makes you feel good, you want it to remain forever. So if you just embrace that. It, it would be very temporary glimpses of happiness. But, but Buddha said more like, embrace the full picture that we are here, um, things will come, things will go. Also happiness, the, the temporary happiness will come and go. And we will become sick, we become old, and we certainly will die. If you embrace that, then it's very clear that impermanence will be as a, uh, remembrance for you that make this life meaningful, make every moment meaningful. Don't wait for for this quarantine to just count the days for it to stop. Make even those days meaningful. You have that possibility. I totally understand that it's not easy, mm. not for none of us. But I had an example there where I, I wrote about that in my first book. Uh, I have a daughter that is uh, now she's a big girl. She's seventy years old now, but she's she's uh, born with a rare diagnose, and she she's uh, she, she's spine is uh, was when she was born it was totally uh, wrecked. So, so she had to undergo for ten years. She had to undergo twenty five surgeries, quite big big surgeries. So my life was our life was quite perfect, and it was very normal. But when mm -hmm. she was born, we were. Everything was teared apart. We had to spend uh, 10 years in hospital and we had uh, people working at our home nighttime because she couldn't breathe she, we, when she was lying down. So we, we needed support from, from the commune. And, uh, and, but even at that time, I felt that this stillness of mind is there. And I can identify 100% with me as a father to, to a daughter that is sick. I can do that, absolutely. But if I fuel that, I can still be that person for all my life. It's my life story. But I can also keep a distance and instead of choose, choosing to be something else after some time. So it gave me a great relief with the meditation during this right. time and that's mm -hmm. why i wrote this book also now because I, I remember i told myself that okay meditation helped you when you were 17 and had some restlessness is nothing now you have a daughter you're a father of a daughter and she will be here for as long as you you will live 
And and uh, does it work now? Now it's tough time. Does mm-hmm. it work now? So my book starts when I sit uh, on a sofa at the hospital, and she she just under uh, underwent her twenty um, uh, third surgery or something like that. I was totally exhausted, and I was sad, and I felt sorrow. Mm. And she was she had so much pain. So they they, they pumped her with uh, all these uh, morphine and stuff, and finally she fell asleep. And I sat down and meditated. And, uh, and I thought to myself, is this is something? It has to work now. <laughs> and, yeah. and it yeah. did. And it did. Right. Right. I, 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 wouldn't say, I wouldn't say that I was totally calm. I was totally happy. Nothing like that. Mm. But I could, mm. I could cope with the situation. Right. So that's why I think. Mm. <laughs> I think it's people are reluctant to gain some space it seems right because the disidentification oftentimes feels kind of cold and it feels like and 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 it's and it's very easy to confuse that with just abnegation with pulling back and and uh, and you know avoiding the situation right mm. It's, mm. it seems it would be easy to just mm. kind of not be there not be present but mm. yet how would it look to be present as you were as a father, mm. but also to have some objectivity. Mm. And, it, it, you know, I mean, how, how does that mindset look? It seems very contradictory to, you know, to a, to a regular I mean, person. Yeah, I mean, uh, my first, uh, both me and my wife, first feeling in that situation, even if I had a lot of uh, meditation experience from before, I, I felt trapped. Of course, I felt I was I was I was so torn down by by. Uh, I was so tired and I was so sad, uh, and I, I felt that I we had a, an older daughter as well, and I felt that I wasn't enough for her because right. all the time I had to go to mm. hospital. So I want to be very clear that it wasn't easy. Mm. It was really tough. And I I, I really was very close to, to, to break totally, actually. So it, it was very hard. But uh, but uh, again, what was your question there? How to keep the... Yeah, the distance between having, mm. you know, the kind of immediate reaction, which is a natural reaction, mm. and, and being able to preserve some sense of yourself. So... Mm. kind of you know it's completely crumble i suppose yeah yeah it was i mean it was a process it was mm. a process and it was also during this uh, this time i where my body was totally uh, you know i i'm i i'm i've been trained just like you i think in the tibetan buddhist community mm-hmm. and it's a lot of sitting it's a mm-hmm. lot of sitting and and i felt that um, after these these years with my daughter, my body was in such a bad shape, and I I got, started to get back pain when I was doing my meditation. And uh, of course, I, I could use the techniques in a good way, but at that time, I, I started with Ashtanga Yoga. So that was a, that was the best thing I ever done to mix those two. Okay, to use to use right. the body and. Uh, uh, how does your meditation technique um, affect the Ashtanga? Does it is it is it re- related? That's a good question. I, I <laughs> just the other day I thought maybe this is weird to do two traditions at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I mean. <laughs> but I love both of them. So what can I do? I know that there are, I've seen around that there are some uh, some like me who combine uh, Buddhism and, uh, and Ashtanga Yoga actually. And, uh, and you say that they're different. How would they be then contradictory? Do you find any disparity between your meditation techniques and the Ashtanga? Well, I, I don't. I don't. If you want to search for it, obvious. You can go very deep philosophically, and and uh, but also Buddhism is, is is vast. It's been around for a couple of thousand of years, as well as uh, yoga philosophy. So I mean, it depends on where you dive down. But obviously, obviously, there are some different thoughts about the, um, how to say the existence of the I, so to speak. But I mean, you don't have to go there uh, as a um, practitioner day by day. 
at least mm. uh, I haven't done it so far, but uh, I haven't dived that far, so I have to take a stand for anything. Uh, but you of course, uh, meditation practice. Do you, do you feel it as a meditation? Pardon? Do you feel the Ashtanga practice as a meditation? Yes, I do. Yes, I absolutely do that. But uh, uh, I want to be honest. Uh, uh, I feel uh, Ashtanga yoga is. I love it. I totally love it. I thought about it this morning. Even now, after twelve years, I still think it's brilliant. Uh, and uh, I, and, I, and I miss that part in the meditation uh, tradition at that time. Of course, there are some some yogic uh, exercises as well. Uh, we have to say that, but uh, but I come much deeper in my meditation practice in terms of investigating the mind. That's not right. out. There's right. no doubt. I get the. I, I get the. Within uh, same session, I, I can have this feeling of total stillness, and I can. I can feel that. Uh, oh, so you think the Ashtanga facilitates that with your meditation? Uh, yeah, yeah, it helps yeah. me. Right. Yeah, very much. I think it's a great mix. Actually, I think it's great. I think at that time, when I look back at the, my meditation. Earlier years, I, I'm surprised that I wasn't introduced to more movement. I, I would need that as a person. I often think it's kind of strange that when you get into Tibetan Buddhism, you're asked to do these, you know, these kind of uh, rituals to, to kind of um, confirm your interest in it, right? Um, the entries. Uh, and one of them is a prostrations, which is rather like a sun salutation in a way, right? Um, but it's strange that they don't continue those throughout right so people do them and then they complete a certain number of them mm. but yet then they, they they stop them which is a well a uh, it, way because uh, they, they mm. continue them and then it would be like doing a lot of mascara in a way um but but in a way they don't stop them but but uh, as westerner practitioners we are introduced to do them three times when we enter the the room the, uh, the room and is it obvious for people who listen what, what a prostration is um, well, I don't know. <laughs> you can explain it with your English. <laughs> <laughs> the word prostration means lying down. So I suppose in some respects it's, it's from standing, going to lying down, coming back up again, going into like a genuflection or prostration or a little bit like a surinamaskar. Um, and you touch, you touch your forehead to the, to touch the, your head to to the, the floor. floor. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, I mean, for people that do the Ashtanga practice, you often hear that oh, it's, a, it's a moving meditation. And then, well, the Ashtanga is a, has everything you need in it. We don't need then to meditate. It is the meditation itself. Um, do you need extra meditations or is the concentration enough for Ashtanga? What's your experience as a meditation practitioner who then came latterly to Ashtanga? I mean, uh, now I only talk, talk for, for myself. Yeah. Of course, uh, and uh, I, I, uh, uh, for me, uh, I need both. And in terms of building these gardens of visualizations that you could do in in sitting still meditation that the Tibetan Buddhism offer, where you you wish all living be beings well, to be healthy and happy, and it's a very it's a long ritual where you distance yourself from your from your ego clinging, your grasping. The, 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 uh, at this is different, of course, from from moving all the time, but but uh, this is two different things. But I think I think if you dive deeper into the Ashtanga, for sure, it's there as well. But it from the first step in the Tibetan Buddhism, this is very clearly expressed that this is a practice to 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 not grasping. Uh, you, you you come like you you say in Tibetan duck, you become a duck mepa. You can someone duck means I, and uh, uh, and something that is not connected to this I any longer. It's actually the the the, the goal of the practice. And this is uh, this is you, you, you know that you can't even go into the Tibetan culture before they say that compassion is this is is, is a fundament before we build the house. Two questions there. Um, Obviously, Tibetan is uh, based on the Mahayana look of, uh, so compassion is, is first and foremost. Um, I know it sounds like a silly question, but what's the, 
why? What's the benefit of compassion? I mean, you have in the yoga sutras, for example, a different style, which is rather a bit more like the Hinayana style, the kind of the up and out style, right? So you don't really think about being compassionate. You're not looking like to be a bodhisattva to come back again and help all other beings. You're really just looking to uh, get out of this big mess um, <laughs> by, uh, by, by understanding your nature, you know? And so, so what is the benefit or, uh, from your perspective from this tradition of the uh, compassion and, and perhaps even how that might relate to one's practical experiences of daily life? Because it's slightly too, it strikes me as slightly two different things. One is um, clear nature, realizing one's, uh, na- another thing is compassion. So they're slightly two different things. Right? Yeah, that's right. For me, compassion is it's obvious how it how it works. I listened to the radio this morning. Mm-hmm. It was it was like, um, um, it w- w- was um, yeah, some some cultural program, and they to- they talked about. Uh, research conducted in us um, i think they called it uh, noodle uh, noodle statistics because uh, the graphs looked like noodles <laughs> and they thought fo- they followed a work ma- work environment and and, and they uh, somehow measured that people sitting still on the workspace all the time yeah. And people mingle at workspaces. You know, you have met those people who walk around all the time mm-hmm. and they talk. And sometimes you start thinking that, oh, what is this guy doing? He should sit down and work. But no, measuring... I never managed to work in an office, so that was because uh, <laughs> I would be sitting around all the time. So. <laughs> Neither I, but I tried yeah, to yeah. make us more uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to appeal to the. <laughs> the regular person who has that. Experience. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, But but what they could see. But this research was that the people who mingled during the, 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 the work time, they get more work done. Right. That's very interesting. And then they, they put it in another way because they also measured people working from home, isolated. And they got also less work done. So the conclusion of this is that we need other people. We need other people to get things done, to be okay. creative. We need other people to become um, filled with happiness and of um, being, uh, of the feeling of, um, how to say, um, to have your place at this, at this earth. So I think that's very clear with com- compassion. And, and uh, more modern, uh, modern, modern re- re- research would also say that this uh, oxytocin will be released with compassion that you, you you will feel cared about and you feel good you feel good so i think it's obvious we're all in this together and also from my own point of view i feel that when i do my meditation when i'm in that state of what we can call sokchen or mahamudra where we don't have an object anymore when you don't meditate on an object you just you just uh, rest in that uh, open uh, continuum of, of uh, awareness there is nothing that can be defined as an i or uh, i can't identify any, any any special emotions going on there and i i also try to provoke sometimes things that uh, made me feel anger in everyday mm. life but in that state i i can't even hold that anger for a few seconds it's impossible so from that also come the insight that we are very much alike behind all those different things we are we are doing in our daily life. Some people are doing crazy stuff, other people are not doing crazy stuff, but under that we are all the same. So that's 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 the insight of compassion, I think. Mm. Mm. That, that that makes it, that that comes to the I, I said in the in the I said in the beginning that I when I teach uh, beginners in meditation I teach pre meditation um, and yeah. then uh, the formal meditation and then the most impo- important the post meditation. Okay. Mm-hmm. Life is very easy when you sit in Mahamudra and just nobody is disturbing me and I think good things about all people. You feel very feel very nice, but then you go home. For Christmas, to meet your relatives, are you still compassionate? Are you still happy for them? Can you still listen to them with a, with a mindfulness? 
and uh, yeah, you have to deal with with uh, people that uh, don't agree with you and stuff like that. So that's a post meditation. How you can let this insight from the formal meditation take form in everyday life. That has to happen at some point, I think. Why? I mean, I'm asking some simplistic questions here. Um, but, I mean, there are questions that come up. You're having these good feelings. You know, um, you're feeling compassionate. and You feel you have a point of view. You feel you ought to be vegetarian. You feel everyone ought to meditate. Mm. Everyone ought to be compassionate. And then you go home to family and you experience some rather, um, you know, unkind behavior towards yourself, your beliefs, mm. your, you know, your opinions. Why mm. do you need to be compassionate to that? You have to be compassionate about that. You don't have to. You don't have to tolerate things. That's what. That's not what I. What I say. Okay. Uh, right. If you say. If you say something rude to me now, uh, of course I would say I don't want to listen to that. Okay. okay. Maybe we should okay. should close this Zoom session now because this this is too much at the moment. <laughs> Call me that I'm stiff because I'm Swedish or something like that. <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> no. No. But. 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 Uh, compassionate brings you another perspective. It makes it makes both of us understand that this is not the full you. There are reasons, there are causes and consequences why you are saying like this. Where does it come from? Are you are, are you are you just unkind or are you afraid of something? Are you scared of something? Maybe you're not. It's something that you yourself been longing for that I'm doing, but you don't want to meet that within yourself. So you understand that all thing, all those imprints that comes out in everyday life have a reason. So that's why I think it's so. Of course, I don't want anybody to, everyone to meditate. I, I want. To, I just want to do my thing, and I want you to find your path. I want mm. my mother to find her path and so on. And my daughters have to find their own path. But but we we are here together. That that's that's uh, the fact. And we should remain like that. I'm just aware uh, time's ticking on and I wanted people to have some understanding of the meditation practices that you that you're doing in Tibetan Buddhism. You you kind of touched upon them. Um and they're very interesting. If you just maybe just give a a very short oversight of the kind of thing that they entail because they're quite unique. Yes. Well, uh, it all starts with, uh, I, as I understood, it took me quite a long time because I've been so focused on the Tibetan Buddhism. But mm. uh, but this is a little bit different uh, in, in terms of definition of uh, Vipassana uh, or what we call uh, Laktung uh, in Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, and, and the use of Vipassana when you go on a silent vipassana retreat um, wherever you go in tibetan buddhism they, they say shine is a calm abiding to laktong vipassana which is the analytical part where you more uh, make reflection contemplations and analysis of the mind and at the end of that you also um, put the question what is, who is making this analysis? Who is meditating? Is there anything there? So this is, this is the, the short setup of it. And regarding my own practice, uh, right now I'm doing, um, uh, I think you are well aware of, of, of that, familiar with that, with a non-drop practice. So I'm doing, okay. uh, right. I'm doing four preliminary practices. They call it uh, preliminary practice, but actually this is something that can go on for the whole your life. And it's a very Ashtanga-like in a way. Yes. Yeah. And it's a very clear structure. And you have to, like you, you know exactly like you, you struggle with a primary series, you struggle with Marisha Sanadi, and you feel like you never come further. Something is happening in your mind. You get tumbled. And you understand your body, you understand your mind, and you understand the ego, how it how it wants to solve things, but it has to change when that you can't solve it because it's so hard to bind in that posture as a beginner. And Nundra is the same setup. You you start with the prostrations, and that's where I am right now. And uh, 
and it feels nice. You 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 read a text and, and you you take refuge to to Buddha Dharma and Sangha, and you do this, uh, lie down to the floor, and it's quite hard actually for the abdomens and the front side compression of the body, mm-hmm. and and you feel it's quite nice. But then comes the bad news from the teacher. You have to do this hundred hundred thousand times to purify negative imprints in the mind just as a starter as a soft starter and i mean you've done hundred thousand they they are quite sure that you are not mindfulness all through the hundred thousand so they add they add on ten percent so it's hundred ten ten thousand you're not mindfulness even in that ten thousand so they add on ten percent more so hundred Eleven thousand prostration is where you you're aiming for before you can go on to the second step to the next step. Done those before, I imagine, when you started, right? Because they're the you know the kind of preliminaries to the the tradition, right? And yeah, I suppose I kind of wanted to provoke you to you know explain some visual the very kind of crazy visualizations that are involved in Tibetan Buddhism, because um, people oh. often aren't aware of. Of this practice, right? That the meditation becomes very much a concentration on certain deities, on certain gods, creating yeah. a kind of whole mini world inside mm. your head, you know, which you kind of hold as a mm. full visualization and then do things mm. with. You know, it's, mm. it's 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 pretty incredible. It's pretty incredible and quite difficult, I think, uh, because I've been doing a lot of uh, shamatha in China, so right. I'm more used to these techniques uh, and. So, so uh, it's a little a bit of an obstacle. But right now, I'm doing the in the tradition of Tibetan Buddhism. I do my deity or my jidam. Uh, you call it jidam. It's a meditation deity. Uh, is the Padmasambhava, the Guru Rinpoche, and is a is a very the Tibetan. They love those colorful deity uh, mm. illustrations and paintings with a lot of colors, a lot of details, and they can be in. Uh, date itself can be surrounded with hundreds of other figures uh, and stuff like that in, uh, to, to, to how to say to contribute to the tradition so you you know all those qualities of the deity you know all those qualities uh, of the yidam so you meditate and you keep them so clear in your mind so after some time there is like no difference in between you and the deity. And, and you focus, you use your shamatha, your focus that you gained from your mindfulness and shamatha practice to keep the details in the mm-hmm. image mm. clear, 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 clear. And then at the end of the meditation, meditation session, it resolves and you feel like from, from outside in, the image resolves and becomes uh, one with you. Mm, mm. you. You become, you don't become the deity, but the qualities, the Buddha nature that that that's, uh, deity holds becomes a part of you. So it's that are already there within you. That's the point, I think. So it's, it's not like that you can, pray to, to the deity to give you something from outside. It's yeah. just more like yeah. a psychological, uh, therapeutic yeah. game you play to raise and wake this inside yourself. And in that state, you, you stay in silent meditation and you feel the qualities of, of the deity. And just to finalize our, our interview, um, we're going back to a very practical level. Ma- uh, Magnus, I'm sure I don't say your name correctly, but Magnus is, um, <laughs> has written a new book. It's, right. it's, it's a right. fantastic, you know, it's a fantastic yeah. new book. I've read it myself. It's very practical. Um, it's very approachable. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, mm. And uh, in, in which he recommends many daily tasks. I liked the red lights, the traffic light meditation. Wonderful. I mean, you know, that's, that's kind of different. Obviously, they're more familiar ones that we might be aware of, the kind of washing the dishes meditation, um, you know, and other such things. Um, just to bring it down to a, a kind of daily level, right? Um, we're here right now. We're fo- facing, you know, um, adverse, difficult times. What can you just give to finalize a couple of little tips if one is feeling anxious in daily life to incorporate those little mindfulness 
points without actually needing to sit down if we don't feel inclined to mm. do that. Don't have the time. I have one. I have a few different uh, <laughs> favorites, uh, but yeah. right now when I'm 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 teaching, I used to introduce um, the the students to tactile meditations. So somewhere okay. you we focus on. Um, there are d different tactile meditations, but one f favorite is just to rest your hands. I call it rest your hands because it's very accessible in everyday life. We use our hands to almost everything. Uh, you just log into Zoom or making uh, food or yeah, 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 well, yeah, yeah. yeah, or doing yoga, whatever we do. So in the midst of life, just stop the hands and keep them totally still. And with mindfulness, move your full awareness out to your fingers on one hand, or is that easier, or both hands. And just keep your full mindfulness on the details mm. of the hand, on the tingling in the, uh, when the blood is rushing, on the weight from every finger, and you can move from one finger to another. Right. And you can, you can feel a very magical thing, I, I think, about mindfulness there, because you normally don't think about your hands. They are just there. But now when you keep it still and just moving your mindfulness out to your hand, the hand will be so clear and all the details will be there without moving it. It's totally still. So that's one very simple. It, it's mm -hmm. very, it's explained in the book. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that. Yeah. But also I think, uh, but also I think in this time, I think kindness is a way to go. So to, to be kind to yourself, be kind to yourself. And kindness can be uh, also just not doing anything, as I said in the beginning. Kindness can be just be still with what there is. Maybe you are very sad now because you can't meet uh, your loved ones. Mm -hmm. Maybe you are worried or afraid. You may be also afraid for your life. Maybe you have uh, some disease that this can be really difficult if you... If you also have a corona on top of that, it can be life-threatened. So be kind to yourself. Of course, you, it's okay to feel sorrow. It's okay to feel sad. But it's also okay to be very happy in, in times when it's hard. So this will come and go and rely on impermanence. But this is Yeah, I mean, uh, just as a, as a final um, thought, it strikes me it, how... It's all too easy when you're embracing what to kind of get more involved in it. You know, how, mm. how would you hold that? So when you say be kind to yourself, there's a question of acceptance. There's a question of um, accepting what is uh, and, and, and acknowledging and in a way embracing, in, in a way embracing what is. But nevertheless, you can easily get caught mm. up in embracing when it flips over to kind of what we would say in English, wallowing, you know, um, and getting sucked down in what is. Um, how do you make it, you know, how do you keep that from not happening, as it <laughs> basically? Not getting stuck to, to what you... Yeah. So you're accepting, so you're being kind to yourself. I mean, how do you get from, um, how do you make sure that you don't end up simply just uh, getting rather um, drawn into that feeling, those feelings, right? Uh, that's a good question. I think uh, dwelling, it's good uh, to, to, ra dwelling, to wrap up mm -hmm. with that also. That, that comes from regular practice. Okay. That comes from regular practice. It won't happen first time, second time, third time you meditate. No, no research shows that. You have, to, you have to have a steady practice. But, uh, but it's, I mean, it's very, uh, not, not, you don't have to investigate so much, actually. You can do meditation. 10, 15 minutes, three, four times a week, maybe three times a week as a starter, 10 minutes every time. It's not much if you compare okay. it to the time you spend right. on social media or something. And you do that for about eight weeks, right. and you will start see results. But meditation is just like learning to play an instrument. It will sound a bit so-so in the beginning, and will be a lot of cluttering in the mind. But after some time, you won't even notice when it happens. Something becomes more and more still, and something uh, deep silence and stillness from within is revealed, and and it will come. But you have, I think, everything with quality 
you have to investigate some time in that. You can't make a, a nice handstand in Ashtanga yoga. You have to do a lot of practice. You have to go up early and practice. You can't be a chef without making food. You can read a thousand books about food, but uh, well, you don't know how it tastes. You have to 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 do mistakes. You have to mm-hmm. go through all this. Why should why should meditation be be uh, something else? Of course, it's the same. It's a rule of ten thousand hours, or what they say. Yeah, and even for I mean, for to carry on, you must experience quite early on. One would hope some beneficial, positive states, right? You would do that if you if you meet a good teacher, you, you or or you find something on internet, a, a guidance, you, a voice that you like, a, a setup mm-hmm. of words that you die like you can relate yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. You, of course, if you you will feel some state of of uh, relaxation and calmness and distance in between yourself your inner voice and uh, things uh, that distract you and that will be a, a great starting point and that's what i think is uh, the enthusiasm you have you have to meet someone that can give you that feeling so you, so you get this feeling that i want to do this uh, more more than one time wonderful Thank you, Magnus, for your time. And, uh, Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Adam. Thank you for listening. Um, yeah. I'm sorry for my English. Sometimes I, I, I wish I had some more words. <laughs> you have more than enough words. Yeah, they can, something <laughs> oh, comes, something comes through. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.